your parliament and your constitution. America is an elephant. If you work hard enough, you can be like Texas. Yeah. Zip. (laughs) Welcome to episode 36 of the Presidential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 and under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and little-known facts about every American president. I'm your host, Ryan, joined by Blaine and our producer and vice presidential expert, Russ. We want to give you guys a shout-out as we are on LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson, tonight. And a shout out to all of our patrons across the country who helped to make this episode possible. If you want to get early ad-free and bonus episodes of the podcast, we would love for you to join our Patreon community at patreon.com slash presequential. Is there anybody else you want to give a shout out to? Uh, You. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, Blaine, tell everybody about the book we read for the episode. And what are we calling episode 36 and what are we drinking? So for the first time in this journey, we have back-to-back books written by the same author. So this author is Robert Dalek, yep. uh, who also wrote An Unfinished Life, John F. Kennedy, 1970-1963. This book was called Lyndon B. Johnson, Portrait of a President. So what he did was he took the format of his last title and flipped it on its head before it was An Unfinished Life, then the president's uh, name. This is president's name, mm. Portrait of a President. Wow. Mm. Interesting Crazy use Robert of words Dalek. because there was no painting in this book it was all words um <laughs> no, there were a couple pictures but no no paintings correct yeah so don't know why we're calling it a portrait i would say he painted a successful picture of lyndon baines johnson 2004 was when it was written the year i graduated from high school and it was 377 pages it was this episode is called the texan the texan <laughs> The ticks. The ticks. I wish you all could have seen Blaine's face when he did that. The ticks. Everything's, everything's bigger in this episode. Yeah. Specifically, one thing. <laughs> Which we'll talk about. That Lyndon Johnson liked to expose a lot. Excuse me while I whip this out. <laughs> yeah. uh, our page tally right now, 36 presidents in, is uh, 16,660 pages read. For the second time in the presequential podcast journey, first time since season one, we are drinking Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. It's one of my favorite beers, and we drank it for Steven Tyler. Oh, uh, there it was. <laughs> yeah. In his flowing robes. Cheers, boys. Uh, this one, so if you remember, we... Hold on. We busted it out because I wanted a reason to drink Lone Star yeah. For John Tyler, because he annexed Texas. He did indeed. Uh, Lyndon Johnson is our only president from Texas. Thank you. Born in mm-hmm. Texas? Uh, really? Yeah. I who would, I, who would I be missing? Are you thinking of Bush? Because he's from Connecticut. I'm thinking Both of the Bush? W. I thought W would have been born in Texas. Huh. Pretty sure he was born in Connecticut. Almost positive. Oh, man. A liberal media lying. <laughs> <laughs> that's yes, that's the definition of me. Uh, also, uh, I'll do another shout out. Special thanks to our mystery alcohol sponsor out there listening. We appreciate you uh, picking up the booze tonight. What do you guys remember? New about- Haven, Connecticut. Both bushes, huh? Yeah. Con- Connecticut. Connecticans. Con- Connecticut. Uh, yeah. No, I knew he wasn't born in Texas. Get out of here. You know they're called nutmeggers. In Connecticut, they're called nut, who, who are called nutmeggers. People from Connecticut. Okay, I don't like. Okay, nutmeggers. <laughs> that can't be true. Look it up. I think it's wow. the nutmeg state. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> okay. Okay. What do you guys remember about LBJ uh, from anything? Civil rights. Okay. Yeah. 
After after JFK, Vietnam, yeah. I I did know the stories of him whipping out his wiener a lot. Not when I was in high school. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, it's something that's, like, come up, like, especially, like, on the internet, like, on Twitter and stuff. People would be like, did you know that this is the thing you used to do? Which is, like, in front of reporters all the time. Yeah. Um, I remember it also, the... uh, the famous photo of him getting sworn in on Air Force One. I've been JFK. in that Air Force One. Really? Where is it? Wow. It's at uh, Air Force Museum in at Wright Pat in Dayton. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can walk through it. A lot of it's if you're claustrophobic, I would not suggest doing okay. it because it's all plexiglassed. Yeah. So you can oh, literally sure. like walk through the middle of the aisle and that's it. Got it. But you can stand like right next to where he wow. was sworn in. That's cool. That's pretty cool, yeah. What did you remember, Russ? Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. What about it? Because he didn't get us into or out of. I remember that was a a bad mark on his presidency. It's interesting. Yeah. Okay. You guys because he to... put more troops in. I mean, yeah. I could be wrong. We're going to talk could about it. Because he had a really funny quote about why he put more troops in. Do you remember this? I don't remember the quote. Yeah, we'll talk about we'll it. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Let's dive in. All right. The Texan. Uh, Ding. Lyndon Baines Johnson was born in a small farmhouse near Stonewall, Texas on August 27th, 1908. I'm going to jump in so many times. <clears throat> Go ahead. <laughs> when he said when he was young, poverty was so common they didn't know it had a name. Mm. Uh, so he's one of the probably one of the last presidents we'll talk about that actually came from nothing. Yeah, um, something that I still assert is not possible anymore. His father was elected to the House of Representatives in 1904, and famously couldn't be swayed by lobbyists, not because. Of his morals or beliefs, he was just stubborn. <laughs> like, he refused to let anyone tell yeah. him what to do because he was like, nope. Yeah. Well, his son got that gene as well. His dad, uh, Samuel Ely Johnson Jr., told his neighbors the day that Lyndon was born, quote, a U.S. senator is born today. Yeah, I really like that he swung low. He was like, he didn't think he could yeah. be president. Yeah, he just a like, senator. Be, yeah. Yeah. The, I also, like... The way they described his childhood in this book just sounds like one of those like terrible shows from the seventies, yeah. like Bonanza or Little yeah. House on the Prairie. Like there was like no electricity, no running water. They were always messing with the sheriff, stealing dynamite, and then setting it off. Like it was just yeah. stuff that like happened. It's, in... it's Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. Is, is that yeah. is it based on Lyndon Johnson's childhood? I'm pretty sure. No, mm, are you Dukes gaslighting me? No, of course I don't think it is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's based on anything, right? Okay, I don't like know. moonshiners, well, like because it talks like multiple times about how like they would send out a dude to distract the sheriff while yeah. they would steal dynamite from somewhere. Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> set it off. That's definitely an episode. <laughs> Uh, his mom, Rebecca, was the daughter of a state legislator, Joseph Baines, and she studied at Baylor Female College, Baylor University, and UT Austin. Um, Baylor, I didn't know Baylor Female College was a thing. Was, was. that in the book? I yeah. feel like I would have picked up on that. There it is. Shocking. Yep. Through his mom, Lyndon was a great-grandson of a pioneer Baptist minister named George Washington Baines, who pastored several churches in Texas, Arkansas, and Louisiana. Baines was also the president of Baylor during the Civil War. So, fun fact about me, because we can't get through this without me bringing it back to myself. Very first school that recruited me to run track there. Really? That was like the first letter I got was from Baylor University. And I remember thinking... I'm not good enough to go here. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know how I got on the radar, but because like, there's no chance. Yeah. Are they known for having a good track and field program? Michael Johnson went to Baylor. I don't oh. know who that is. 
Oh wait, yes, I yes. do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, yes, I do. Like yes. for got it. the nor- like yep. the you know how there's always like the one Olympian everybody knows about. Yeah, that okay. would have got been it. Michael Johnson. Yes. You definitely know who he is. Your look of uh, astonishment reminded me who Michael Johnson was. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, because I was like, well, people sorry. our no. age, because his Olympics was like such a formative yes. time in our lives. Sorry. He wore those gold spikes. And the uh, recruiting booklet is all Michael Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. The, but Jeremy Warner went there too, who was also an Olympian okay. in the same event as Michael Johnson. They were like, I don't cool. know who that is. I know Michael Johnson. Well, LBJ graduates <laughs> high school in 1924. His senior class had six people in it. And he spent three years in a series of odd jobs before enrolling at Southwest Texas State Teachers College, now Texas State University, while studying there in Bob the late 20s. Huh? Bobcats. Oh, yeah? yeah. Uh, who's Baylor? The uh, Bears. Gold, Golden Bears? No, just, just the regular the Bears. Bears. Just the Bears. Every, every Texas university has a uh, hand sign. This is Baylor's. Yeah, Blaine is. I did uh, it at the microphone. He so is you could clawing all the microphone with his right hand. <laughs> that was really good. Uh, while he was there in the late 20s, he taught a predominantly Mexican American school in Catilla, Texas, where he was really moved by the poverty of his kids that he taught. And that really made a lasting impression throughout his life. So the reason he yeah. went to college was because he got the hell beat out of him <laughs> at like a dance, at like a local town dance. And uh, he realized he wasn't, quote, the cock of the walk. So he <laughs> decided to go to college. <laughs> like apparently, like, if you were tough, you didn't need to go to college. And he was like, I guess if I'm going to get the hell beat yeah. out of me, like I probably go, go to college. school. <laughs> Yeah. Learn how to not get beat up. So his nickname at, what was it called at the time? Texas Southwestern State? Uh, Southwestern Texas State? Southwest Texas State Teachers College. Um, His nickname was Old Rattle and Bones. Huh. We haven't had an old nickname in a while. Yeah, that's why I marked it, I'm sure. Old Rattle and Bones. Rattle and Bones. Mm. Shake. Mm. Rattle and Bones. I'll say shake. Did it say why that was his nickname? Not my, I'm sure the book did. (laughs) When you read it eight months ago. <laughs> My notes do not. <clears throat> it's a treat. Rattling bone. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, he graduates uh, in 1930, and he then went on to participate in the congressional campaign of Democrat Richard Kleberg, who is the Quick, son yeah. of the King Ranch, the largest ranch in the U.S., And he accompanied the new congressman to D.C. in 31 as his aide. And while he was in D.C., he quickly picked up the political game there. And his circle of friends included aides to President Franklin Roosevelt and fellow Texans, such as VP John Garner and Congressman Sam Rayburn. He met Lady Bird, or Claudia Taylor, as her given name, uh, while campaigning for Kleberg. Is that... I'll go with Kleberg. I have no yeah, idea. Let's just call him Kleberg. They married three months later. Well, do you remember how soon he proposed? I mean, he proposed as quickly as like an 18-year-old <laughs> meeting a stripper that knows he's about to deploy to Iraq next week and wants the BAH. Like, <laughs> he's like, no, look, it's, it's, we'll make more money off this. Like, it was fast. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. That got me. <laughs> Crystal, will you marry me? <laughs> they give us more money if we're married while yeah. we're deployed. It's tax-free. Uh, he proposed on their first date. Their <laughs> very first yeah. date. It's so exactly oh, man. the same. Yeah. He would have been awesome. At the end of it, right? <laughs> I don't know. I think he just knew what he wanted. and he was. I like, love that you needed that clarification. <laughs> well, you don't know. <laughs> like, it wasn't like it was before dessert. Yeah. <laughs> But can you imagine if the date started off that way? 
Yeah. He's Hi, like, Linda. Ah, Linda, will you marry me? Will you marry me? Can I call you Lady Bird? <laughs> what? Why? Uh, marry me. Marry me. <laughs> I'm a teacher. Uh, they got married November 17th, 1934 in San Antonio and would go on to have two daughters together. Linda Bird, born in 1944, and Lucy Baines, born in 1947. So the couple, their two daughters, and the family dog, Little Beagle Johnson, oh, all shared the initials LBJ. Except for they didn't because her name was Claudia. <laughs> well, he was like, you're going to go by Lady Bird <laughs> forever now. <laughs> What a wild. My name's Claudia. Nope. No, it's not. <laughs> Ladybird. Zip. <laughs> <laughs> so Kleebird started realizing that he was actually a political threat. Because yeah. like, if Lyndon Johnson was good at anything, mm-hmm. it was getting people to like him. Yeah. Like he was like really, really good at it. Yes. Very uh, much a charmer. Diligent. Kleberg was like, oh, this guy's going to be a problem. Yeah. So he fired him or yeah. like forced him out, whatever. Yeah. So he took a job with the National Youth Administration. Mm-hmm. And For two was, years. was working like 16 to 18 hour days. Yeah. He was by far, well, the Texas version of the New York uh, admi- or National Texas Youth. Texas National Youth Administration. They were by far the most successful. Mostly probably because the dude like didn't understand work-life balance. No. At all. Stop nope, it. he didn't, uh, which is a little bit of foreshadowing to the health issues, which we're going to sure. explore a little bit later. So he's in that job for two years, and then he decides to run for Congress. in 30- 28 years old. Yeah, what were you guys doing when you were 28? 2013. I was getting out of the Army that year. Okay. So I would have been my last year of Fort Drum. So that would have been like there. you then going to run for Congress, basically. That would have been a great choice on everyone that voted for me's part. <laughs> well, in 1937, the 13-term congressman James Buchanan dies, and LBJ successfully campaigns in a special election for Texas's 10th congressional district. What was his name? James Buchanan. James P. Buchanan. Oh, okay. What? Was he a relation? Not that I know of. To the president. To the president. No. That uh, was named James Buchanan. No. Uh, so he is now overseeing, you know, uh, Austin and the surrounding hill country of Texas. We're not going to talk about how he won. Oh, his appendicitis. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go right ahead while you take a sip of your mm-hmm. Lone Star beer. All right. So he had to have his appendix removed two days before the election. Yeah. He knew he would be accused of a trick, which was probably because he would have done a trick, and that's yeah. going to become like a, a storyline thematic Lyndon Baines. Yeah. He found out his opponent's brother was a doctor and he had his opponent's brother do the surgery on yeah. him to make sure that it was all like on the up and up. Yeah. And no one would think like, Oh, you don't really have appendicitis. Huh? You got to have a little bit of trust for that. Right. Like there could have been an issue during surgery. Absolutely. Well, Hippocratic Oak. Yeah. Hippocratic oath. Mm-hmm. But things happen. Things happen. People get jittery. Mm-hmm. Doctors don't do anything wrong ever. <laughs> oh boy. Such a good blanket statement. <laughs> get it? A blanket yeah. statement. Okay. So he serves in the House from 37 to 49, except for six months in 1941 and 42, when he served as lieutenant commander in the Navy, becoming the first member of Congress to serve on active duty in World War II. Okay, there's a few things here. Let's talk about he ran for Senate while he was in the House. Okay. And he lost. But the people he ran against were named Coke Stevenson. Coke Stevenson, who ended up becoming governor of Texas. And 
Pappy O'Daniel. There's a name. That's great. <laughs> Which is who won the just, Senate race in that? What do you think Pappy O'Daniel looked like? In your mind, Russ. Uh, we know what he looked like. Hold if on, you've just, seen Oh we, Brother War Out Thou. Which we have. What do, what do you think he looks like, Russ? Honestly, that's what I was thinking of. Okay. Or the um, Blazing Saddles, yep. the yeah. gibberish. When yeah. I read, I put gibberish. in my notes, it seems exactly like the Oh Brother War Art Thou yeah, guy. Yeah. That was like, had the glasses and the suspenders. Yeah. And he, like, when the dude's up there doing the, is you is or is you ain't my constituency. And then Pappy walks up and he's like dancing <laughs> with the Oak, Oak Ridge Boys or whatever the heck they Oak were called. Oak Ridge Boys. They had some jams. What were they called? Um, Soggy Bottom Boys. Soggy Bottom Boys. That's Bob Dylan's song. Constant Sorrow? Well, yeah. he sang it. Man of Constant Sorrow. Yeah. It's oh, kind of like an old folk song. That yeah, I'm did. pretty sure he didn't write it. No. He does have voluminous writing, so. Yeah. So anyway, he yeah. convinces FDR to send him overseas during World War yep. II. He was a Naval Reserve, what I have in quotes, officer. Okay. <laughs> okay. He's over in New Zealand and Australia. And so, uh, he's in the South Pacific over there. He gets to fly on a bomber during a mission, and Japanese Zeros shoot down another plane on the flight line and shoot his up, which he did stay calm while this was happening, but he yes. was never really in... Well, I guess it's it's easy for us to say now he wasn't ever really in danger, especially if one of the other planes got shot down. Yeah. The book makes it seem like he was probably fine, but he did get a war record politically yes. and they gave him this like garbage fake award for being on the plane while it was getting shot at. He got the silver star for gallantry from General MacArthur. Correct. And he wore it on his lapel like basically even right. when he was president. And based on what I just said, he was on a plane yeah. that got shot at. What gallant effort did he do? I don't really remember from the book, but it doesn't no, sound no. like... I'm saying if you're somewhere and someone shoots at you yeah. and you don't take recourse on that, where are you earning an award? I don't know. Is my point. Do you I know mean, anyone who got the Silver Star in your army I knew somebody who was put in for a Silver Star and did not receive it. Okay. His was downgraded because it's a lot of paperwork. Unfortunately, that's one of the reasons decisions get made. Okay. Where in the, I imagine what the Medal of Honor would be number one, what is number two, three? I mean, Silver Star is like the one under that. Okay. And then Bronze, bronze Star with V, because you can, okay. you, can get a, you can get a Bronze Star like for administrative. Oh, okay. Yeah. Actually, it's a relatively common thing for like officers and senior enlisted to get just for being on a deployment. Okay. So the, like everybody gets blanket deployment awards and the bronze star is what you get if you're above a certain rank. Okay. But yeah, the silver star is high. Yeah. And so Jonathan Corser, and like in most of our opinion, believed that we, he deserved it. We took fire and he stayed in a truck that was on fire Whew. while shooting back at the enemy and wow. ended up like having scars on his lungs from smoke inhalation. We had to pull him out of the truck to get him to stop shooting. Wow. Uh, and Mark 19, which is a automatic grenade launcher. Oh, that's <laughs> pretty dope. Awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Mark 19 is pretty cool. Yeah. That's uh, cool. It was when our first sergeant got hit. Like we had a recoil rifle go through a truck, took the driver out, and our first sergeant like blew his knee out and he like jumped down and didn't realize his knee was blown out because of adrenaline. He couldn't stand up. And then when I came home for leave when Wes was born, he was already home. So he took Jenny and I out to lunch. Yeah. 
and there was a lot of things that got screwed up from that blast from like his hip and his knee and his feet and stuff yeah and he was like well i haven't had all the surgeries yet check this out and he took his shoe out of his crock and he like wiggled his foot and his big toe was only connected at that point by skin so it was just like flopping around oh my my. (laughs) it's pretty sweet Wow. Actually, he, for Sergeant Stommer, he was the one that President Bush painted. He's in that oh, book yeah. I have. What uh, Heroes of, or Portraits of Heroes, what's it called? Portraits of Courage, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why do you think LBJ got it? Well. Because, I mean, I know the. So the, there, that's one of the awards that only, like, has to go through Congress to get approved. Okay. okay. So, like, he was there. Got it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Like, his buddies did it. Well, he was released from active duty in July of 1942. We're going to jump a little bit ahead here. In 1948, he won the Democratic primary with a very slim margin of victory, 87 votes. That was over Governor Coke Stevenson. Okay. Uh, Out of almost a million votes cast, which earned him Mm. the nickname Landslide Linden. Yeah. So it was, so he campaigned for that by taking a helicopter across Texas. Yeah. Which is pretty dope. Yeah. However, he was pretty well connected in some shady places ish and it was pretty like well known that that was probably not a legit le- election he would just like drop pamphlets and then he would like fly into town the helicopter would would like keep the rotor spinning he would go out and make a speech in like a big hat and wave he was yeah he was basically like like a missionary and like, then he would hop back. He would hop back in his helicopter and take off. Um, Fly over with his tracks. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's what it was. Yeah. Did you ever get one of those at like Halloween where people would hand out like a? It was like a. It was a gospel tract that yeah. you. Would... Well, I mean, you grew up in Tipton, Indiana. Yeah, I, I grew up in a house that gave them out. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> so, I mean, I, yeah, I know a thing or two it. about tracks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, he was promoted to commander in the Navy Reserve the next year in October of 49. He remained in the Senate for 12 years, becoming Democratic whip in 1951 and minority leader in 1953. The Democratic majority in 1955 was there, and he became the youngest majority leader in the Senate's history at age 46. Around the same time. He used his political power to get the only uh, UHF TV station in Austin, yeah. which is where he started his family fortune. That's yes. where he Weird got Al. It. Is that what the look was for? Yeah, yes, of course. Russ. Weird Al was in a... <laughs> Don't shame me for that. That's no, I'm just like, thought. as soon as I said UHF, I saw your face light up. <laughs> I was like, he's of thinking of your Weird I Al. I like Weird Al. <clears throat> yeah, he he Isn't made it his money wild in... that Weird Al's have like a forty year career by a guy named Weird Al, and he has yeah. zero like impropriety, like yeah. even yeah. addressed against him. Yeah, like that's good for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty's a nice guy too. Some of my friends actually got to do a show with him. There's they... a funny story that he walked into a party once in L.A. and like was like towards the beginning of his career. And heard somebody be like, oh my God, Weird Al is here. Like super excited. And he was like kind of feeling like maybe he didn't belong yet. Yeah. And he looked over and the guy that said that was Paul McCartney. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. All right. Wow. Yeah. There's some street cred. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Like um, imagine, like, if, you know, you're dealing with a little bit of imposter syndrome and yeah. then you walk in and Paul McCartney's excited to see you. Like, yeah. yeah. Good Everybody, for you. And, and then you still don't become like a giant <laughs> Yeah. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. Everybody, 
<laughs> Where the hell's here? Put, Put your th- leg back on. Come over here. <laughs> Put your beanie weenies down. Meet this guy. Okay, so in nineteen 1950- Linda, grab your leg. <laughs> that's, that's dark. I'm sure she takes it out for party tricks. Thunk. <laughs> When she was alive, Blaine. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Well, this was, you know, a long time when ago. she was alive. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be weird if she did it now. Okay, around this time, LBJ suffered a near-fatal heart attack on July 2nd, 1955, due to the fact that he smoked 60 cigarettes a day. <laughs> Russ just said, no, he didn't. What? 60 cigarettes a day. Somebody did the math on that already, right? That's three packs. Sixty. You you're you're putting you're lighting your next cigarette with your last cigarette. Yeah. In that. Yeah. Sometimes you're lighting two cigarettes with the last cigarette just uh-huh. to meet your sixty quota. Sixty. Sixty a day. <laughs> uh, at the Democratic convention in nineteen. 19- talk. I don't know. He must have had a very throw- deep deep voice. Oh my yeah. god. At the Democratic convention in 56, he received 80 votes for president and set his eyes on the 1960 presidential nomination. He helped to engineer the passage of two civil rights measures in 57 and 60, which were the first such legislation in the 20th century. So Joe Kennedy really wanted him to run in 56 Mm -hmm. and was willing to put his money behind it. Which he had a lot of. Correct. Clearly, like he won multiple elections Mm -hmm. with his money. Lyndon Johnson turned him down, which was probably the first time anyone had ever turned Joe Kennedy down for yeah. anything. I wonder if he's like, I'm sorry, what did you say? <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm from Texas. And they were like, that's eh, not how this works. Yeah, no. Uh, I am Joe Kennedy. And yeah. the guy's like, nah, I'm from Texas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Zip. <laughs> you, and you know, yeah. Ah oh, man, how many people did he blow smoke in their face? He like, must as have had power? such good like smoking gestures. You know, like, <laughs> oh yeah, so many. It's shocking yeah. he doesn't have a cigarette in this picture. Oh, oh yeah. that's why his other hand's behind his back. He's lighting one. Yeah. <laughs> one he, he can do one it one handed. Hold it. There it is. Look what I can do. Oh my gosh, sixty. Sixty a day. Okay, that's a lot. Well, uh, the Soviets launched Sputnik. By the way, oh, his yep. civil rights record. He was initially a segregationist, and yeah. even when he was doing like civil rights things, yeah. he would still nonchalantly use uh, racial epithets mm-hmm. that start with the letter N. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, I think, fair to question whether or not that was genuine, or he just realized it made the most political sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of what he did, too, you got to think we're flash-forwarding a little bit ahead, but was inheriting Kennedy's push for a lot of that. Oh, we'll definitely talk about that. So Soviets launched Sputnik in 1957, and Johnson, among others, are starting to think about how Soviet domination of airspace would play out. And he really used his influence to draft and— Co-authored. Yeah, co-sponsor and ensure the passage of the 1958 National Aeronautics and Space Act, which established NASA. 
I was going to let Russ Oh, guess. sorry. I was going to answer NASA. Yeah, you, you would, would have be been wrecked. Yeah, <clears throat> correct. In 1960, he had formed a Stop Kennedy Coalition, but it proved a failure. He received 409 votes on the only ballot at the Democratic Convention to Kennedy's 806, so only got half of that. But he surprised everyone when he accepted JFK's invitation to join the ticket as the VP candidate for the Democrats. Ever the opportunist. Yeah, right. He was definitely an opportunist. And he campaigned energetically and helped JFK carry Texas, Louisiana, and both Carolinas, basically states that were essential to his victory over Nixon. And on that note, we're going to take a break. You are listening to the Texan of the Presequential Podcast. We'll be right back. Ding! Facing the transition out of the military is rarely easy. It doesn't help that the staggering number of options you're faced with can be overwhelming. But there's a light at the end of that tunnel for all veterans. And that light shines brightest here in Indiana. Lucrative careers in fast-growing industries are plentiful. Housing costs are amongst the lowest in the nation. And you can live in the country while being less than an hour from a world-class city. At InVets, we're showing veterans how to translate the valuable skills they've learned to the civilian world while connecting them with careers they can be proud of so they can lead fulfilling, purposeful lives. Go to InVets, that's I-N-V-E-T-S dot org. Create a profile to learn more about Indiana communities, browse the current open job openings in these communities, and receive your free shirt. That's InVets, I-N-V-E-T-S dot org. Welcome Back Thank you. to the Texan. The Texan. Presidential Podcast, Season 3, Episode 36. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're really humming along here. So JFK picks Johnson as his running mate. Johnson, as we've said, is an opportunist, yeah. takes the nod. Um, there's some interesting stuff that comes up about things he says behind closed doors later in their relationship. But as they beat Nixon famously... <laughs> that one of the I think it was in his VP debate uh, one of his famous quotes was I know the difference between a caucus and a cactus on the cactus all the pricks are on the outside <laughs> <laughs> that's very LBJ I like that yeah that's cool so so he's the VP now yeah they win and there was an interesting dynamic between JFK and LBJ basically so you've got you know this young up and coming guy who basically gets the the nod because of dad's money uh, among other things but LBJ has this huge knowledge of congress that r- largely goes underused and underappreciated uh not just by JFK but his brother Bobby who Bobby. The, LBJ felt and I think rightly so that the Kennedys looked down on him as this crude kind of just blue collar guy from Texas and I think Kennedy missed out on a lot of of LBJ's, um, I wouldn't call it brilliance, but acumen within Congress. Because he was good with people. Yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, I mean, typically, people that don't have to interact with people most of their life aren't great with them. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And people like LBJ... Knows how the game is work, and he, yeah, uh, was great with people. What do you have pre-assassination about LBJ as vice president? So at one point, Kennedy basically got tired of looking at him and sent him to Africa. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is great. And, and he got like a whole mess of ballpoint pens made yeah. with like the VP logo on them. And lighters, too, I and think. And lighters. Yeah. And he would just hand them to these African children who'd have no idea what to do with them and tell them to be more like Texas. <laughs> Not America. <laughs> Not America. Texas. Texas. 
he would be like, if you work hard enough, you can be like Texas. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what he would tell Tiny. And that was like his thing. Every Tiny time African he would children. go anywhere, it started with Africa, but anytime he would go yeah. every, anywhere, he'd be like, work hard and you could be like Texas. Yeah. Here's a lighter. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, that's what he did. He had these how, made. How could they be like Texas? In well, what regard could this uh, African nation be like Texas? I, I think I, I like that he left it open-ended for them to discover. <laughs> you know yeah. what? You're right. You know. Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. Like, what it's does that mean? He goes, yep, that's the point. Yeah. You, you find it <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah. Make <laughs> so, me proud, son. He was, yeah, you're right. He was trying to be uh, uh, subversive. He yeah. was like, no, it's up to you. What do you want to be like yeah. Texas? And then he flew away on his and, chopper. Yeah. Here's some tracks. <laughs> and he would be like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Deep in the heart of the Texas. Texas. Fun fact. <laughs> Smoking six. It would have been funny if he was dropping ballpoint pens from <laughs> oh, <the> helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, when we lived in El Paso, there was a karaoke bar we would go to every Friday night called Aaron's. Uh, and there were many things I liked about Aaron's. Aaron's was, a, was just one of my core memories. Yeah. One of my favorite things was Every Friday, there was a man who was in a motorized wheelchair with one leg, which I only could assume is diabetes related. Okay. And he would show up and he would sing Deep in the Heart of Texas and leave. That was it. Wow. (laughs) That's what he did. Every Friday. Every Friday. Wheel on in, sing Deep in the Heart of Texas. Yep. Throw that bad boy in reverse. You remember that? It's yeah, Jenny remembers. Jenny's giving a thumbs up from the couch there. <laughs> so he did this in Vietnam, I think, at one point too, when he was president. He would just go around handing out pins and lighters, yeah. being like, Don't worry, one day you can smoke sixty cigarettes a day with this lighter. <laughs> I don't understand a word Be he like said, Texas. but he seems like a nice guy. He gave me a pen. <laughs> can me you imagine the like confusion? <laughs> the confusion. I will say, when we were in Afghanistan, like that was the number mm-hmm. one thing the kids asked for was pins. Really? Yeah. They would point to like on our uniforms, our pins were like in our left sleeve forearm. Okay. That's where the pockets for pins are. And they would point to their forearm and be like, pin, pin. Huh. huh. Like, so maybe that's the thing. I mean, I, really, it's witchcraft. Just somebody <laughs> that lives in a mud hut, yeah. right? Like, you have a stick that makes yeah. markings. Like, that's, but yeah. I mean, it's even more witchcraft in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. I immediately wanted to know as you were telling that. Uh, riveting story if there are if there are pen holders on the right sleeve for a left-handed soldier no no you just have to take it out with the right and then put it in your left hand yeah. it every no what no i don't know think no that's not how the military works well blaine everything could is be. standardized it could be it couldn't be <laughs> <laughs> no it's not we're gonna do it everyone's right-handed yeah that's that's actually how it works guys you're grab left-handed some no you're not not today you're not, not today <laughs> sir yes sir <laughs> shake my hand other hand oh gosh okay so and you asked about anything before the assassination yeah. right important thing for our conspiracy theory fans listening, he was okay. So he was going to be taken off the ticket in 1964. Mm-hmm. JFK basically was like, this isn't working. I think I have a plan to be able to like carry Texas and some of these other States. We're going to get rid of him. Like it wasn't like he was considering it. It was like he would, the wheels were in motion. It was going to happen. And he was actually well, not officially quoted, but somebody had pulled him aside and was talking to him about how he felt about being vice president. And one of the things that he said was, one in four presidents die while in office. I like my odds. Hmm. Which, you know, history 
doesn't bode well to somebody that says something like that no. right before an assassination. No. That, that might have been a little bit before he was taken off the ticket. It may have been like somebody was surprised that he was ever on the ticket to begin with. Hmm. Still, he was also like pretty, like he understood the game, right? So like he stayed pretty close with the intelligence establishment throughout his time as vice president, which yeah. ended up, as we'll talk about here in a few minutes, not working out so well for uh, the formation of the Warren Commission. Mm, yeah. And it's one of the reasons why the Warren Commission is so uh, picked apart and not sure. believe now is because of the people that they put in charge of the Warren Commission. Well, it's November 22nd and uh, 1963, and the Johnsons are accompanying the Kennedys in Dallas. JFK is shot. The Johnsons were two cars behind the president in the motorcade. Uh, the Johnsons had originally intended to entertain the Kennedys that night at their ranch, and Lyndon Baines Johnson was sworn in as our nation's 36th president on board Air Force One two hours after JFK died with Lady Bird and Jacqueline Kennedy by his side. In the rush, he took the oath of office using a Roman Catholic prayer book from Kennedy's desk, despite not being a Catholic. The book was mistaken for a Bible. His swearing in was the first time that a woman administered the oath of office. U.S. District Judge Sarah Hughes swore in LBJ on board the plane. Has anybody not used a Bible? Yeah. Several okay. people have. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh -huh. So it's not like that's not a thing you have to do. No. Right. Okay. No. No, not at all. A week later, LBJ created a special commission, as you had mentioned, chaired by Chief Justice Earl Warren uh, to investigate the assassination. Actually, Lady Bird recorded a tape of her memories of the assassination, which were submitted as testimony to the commission. So there were a few problems with the Warren Commission. One being it was chaired by Warren, but it was because he wanted to be overtly bipartisan. It was actually run and mostly investigated and run through by a man named Alan Dulles. And you just finished reading one of his books. Well, not a well, book that he wrote, but a book about him. And I'll admit, it was a hit piece about him. So <laughs> yeah, probably not the best person. Like, take let's take that aside and let's just like look at the facts. Probably not the best person to put in charge of running commission is the person who may be considered to be involved, especially mm -hmm. after he was fired by the president that was just assassinated. Yeah, yeah. And there were like shady things that had happened and things that he had even said publicly that he didn't like president kennedy maybe just in general you don't allow someone like that to investigate that type of death yeah and if you're a loyal listener you would have heard blaine talk about that more uh, in jfk's episode but if you are just jumping in for some reason with lbj feel free to go back an episode and listen to that for more of a deeper dive there i mean yeah it's relatively quickly people started picking apart the Warren Commission. Most of the, the findings in the Warren Commission, like the 900 and some page document, was just background on Lee Harvey Oswald, like his biography. That was most of it. Like maybe, I think that less than 10% of the Warren Commission actually had anything to do with the assassination itself. Hmm. Hmm. And it basically decided it was one bullet. It came from the one person and there was no overall conspiracy. And one of the reasons that they outlined in the Warren Commission is that if you historically look at assassinations through history, specifically presidential assassinations, it's always done by a lone gunman. And somebody immediately was like, what about how John Wilkes Booth was in a part of a giant scheme yeah. to completely cut the head off the government? And they yeah. were like, that one doesn't count. Yeah, right. <laughs> you ever heard about William Seward? Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> Sh shut your mouth. 
Well, a lot happened in January of 64 for the president. Uh, yeah. In his first State of the Union address in January 8th of 64, he declared an unconditional war on poverty, announcing, quote, <laughs> our aim is not only to relieve the symptoms of poverty, but to cure it and above all to prevent it. He then spearheaded legislation creating Medicare and Medicaid, expanding Social Security and making food stamps permanent as a program. On June 18th, shortly after his first State of the Union address, he resigned from the Navy Reserve. On the same day, he attended the dedication of the National Geographic Society building in D.C., interestingly enough. He uh, publicly stated that his foreign policy strategy was to just continue what JFK was yeah. doing. The problem was he didn't know what JFK was doing. Yeah. And JFK, I mean, if you think about it, he was doing a lot that Eisenhower had put into place as well, you know? I mean, Bay of Pigs started with Eisenhower. I'm saying yeah, I, every I president he inherits something opposite. from yeah. yeah. I, like his strategy was considerably opposite of Eisenhower's strategy. A lot of it he was still like trying to work through to change because yeah. these things don't just change overnight. You're saying LBJ was continuing to say, hey, JFK's policy is the norm. Let's just yeah. copy it. But if somebody yeah. would have just asked him that follow-up question of what was that policy, Lyndon, <laughs> he would have been like, shh, here's a pen. <laughs> yeah, be more like Texas. Yeah. Like, Look what this ladder can do. Take that. A week later, the 24th Amendment to the Constitution was ratified, abolishing poll taxes. Kind of a big deal. Later that May, at a speech at the University of Michigan, as America was caught up in Beatlemania, Johnson announced his ambitious intention to create the Great Society, which was basically his domestic agenda, focusing on bringing aid to underprivileged Americans. Um, there was a lot of like land and natural conservation in that, and also protecting American consumers from shoddy goods. Yeah, and he actually... like. Uh said like i don't know if it was behind closed doors or like just to a reporter that he said like don't report this but he didn't ever like the slogan he just knew america needs a bumper sticker yeah that was his quote yeah. america needs a bumper sticker so we mm. have to have the slogan yeah it's catch. i mean if you look through the 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 history of you know fdr what new deal mm -hmm. uh truman then had fair deal eisenhower did he have be like ike be like ike jfk great new frontier lbj great society Carter had uh, what the new foundation. Ford didn't ever run. Yeah, so there was no bumper sticker yeah. opportunity. Like <laughs> Ford's for them. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I'll just be here for a little while. Which stinks because like I really like Jerry, I Jerry as a human. I Jerry, like Ford oh, too man, a lot. Man. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, man, yeah. I like Jerry Ford. There were bills passed rather at the time when he was president in early '64 about the National Endowment for the Arts and the Immigration. Highway Safety and Public Broadcasting Acts. That was all one. No, no, it was no. all Those one were thing. Three, three separate acts: immigration, highway safety, public broadcasting. I mean, can acts. we just go down the line? Of what if it was? This is the immigration, highway safety, <laughs> public broadcasting public act. <laughs> like, are oh. we talking about like keeping oh. public broadcasting immigrants safe while traveling? <laughs> exactly, son. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Be more like Texas. That's right. Uh, in July of 64, he signed the Civil Rights Act of 64, which outlawed discrimination based on race, color, sex, religion, or national origin. It also prohibited discrimination in voter registration, as well as segregation in schools, employment, and public accommodations. So that was a big one, and there would be other ones to follow. Had any problems with it since? Yeah. Just fix everything. That same month, so this is uh, July of '64, Arizona Senator Barry Goldwater received the Republican nomination for president, and George Wallace, the governor of Alabama, dropped out of the presidential race uh, despite uh, a lot of strong showing throughout the Democratic let's, South. Let's talk about some of Barry Goldwater's plan. Yeah, let's go into it. <laughs> 
<laughs> he wanted to just indiscriminately nuke the USSR. Uh, Sounds he, like a, a interesting thought. Uh, he thought we needed to get rid of lazy people oh. in Social Security. He he had all the talking points that yeah. luckily we got rid of and nobody uses anymore. So, yeah, uh, in August, just a month later, <laughs> it's on a template. Congress passed. Yeah, maybe maybe that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Well, but like Nixon had already run. And I think Nixon already was running on some of the template, but it does seem like we know where the template started. Yeah. yeah. Was right in the like 56 to 64 era. Yep. Was where the template started. And, and man, to use a sports analogy, Ronald Reagan took that template and won one for the Gipper. Yeah. <laughs> and he played <laughs> he the just, Gipper too, did he? That was why. There you go. Era. Sorry, Blaine. He just ran that one all the way across the gold line. And now we're here. Yeah. Now we are here. <laughs> That'll be a fun episode. <laughs> yeah. Congress that summer passed the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, which gave the president power to pursue military action in Vietnam. And around that time, he also got the Democratic nomination for president alongside VP candidate Minnesota Senator Hubert Humphrey. So the Tonkin Resolution. Yeah. Not to be confused with Tonkin trucks. Um, the I know you like that one, Russ. No, I was going to say, mm, never mind. Keep Go going. Ahead. No, no, it's well, fine. He, he Tonka. He oh, he basically he called it a net war, like he was throwing a net over the problem. He knew that basically, like the whole concept was like let's let's cover up as much as uh-huh. we can. And yeah. his quote about it was, "It needs to be like grandma's nightshirt; it covers everything." <laughs> That's a great quote. I mean, he is yeah. You can't. His quotes are good. You ever it, seen Moo Moo Son? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Well, that fall, the Warren Commission's report is finally released. MLK wins the Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, boy. Did you, you brought up how he got Hubert Humphrey, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So uh, he made Hubert Humphrey swear an oath of allegiance. Yeah. Yeah. That, like, sure did. Uh, of unwavering loyalty. Yes. His quote was, I want you to kiss my ass on a hot summer's day and tell me it smells like roses. Did I just steal some of your thunder? No, no, that's fine. Okay. Sums it up. Well, let's talk about this thing called known as the Johnson treatment. Okay. So he's, he's six, three, six, four. Russ, please jump in at uh-huh. any time. Here. He is a large hulking man. And uh, he would basically get really close to people. He would swear in their face, belch very close to them, uh, sometimes spit. He would also drag people into the bathroom and basically make them continue a conversation with him while he was on the toilet. He was obsessed with showing off his penis and uh, called it, it often. Called it jumbo. <laughs> Once shouting, "Have you ever seen anything as big as this?" To a bystander in the Oval Office. <laughs> Zip. I have a few questions. Okay. Go ahead, buddy. Okay. When he brought them into the bathroom, Uh uh, was he in a stall and they were outside or did he make them come in the stall with him? I imagine the the executive bathroom probably doesn't have a stall. Oh, you're right. It's probably just got one bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Also, is that why they call it a Johnson? Like, is that why one of the nicknames, like, 90s t-shirts, like Big Johnson? I feel like I... Heard that question and looked question. it up before. Let's look that it's up. It's a dangerous and by thing. Let's, I mean, there was somebody that asked him something about Vietnam. Oh, somebody asked him oh, yeah. why we were still in Vietnam, and he pulled it out and was like, "This is why." <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, sir. Is that on the record? Like he would like literally like all of the the jokes that you like the locker room stuff that you would hear about, like yeah. the putting it over your wrist and uh-huh. saying, "What time is it?" And like. 
Like he would put it on people's shoulders that were sitting down. Like yeah. all these things. This was a president yeah. of the United States. Yeah. That yeah. we're not exaggerating. These no. are things that happened. Yeah. He said, they told me I wasn't the cock walk in high school. Yeah. Well, now I am. Yeah. But like the internet didn't exist and everybody no. just had this like reverence and respect for the office that they yeah. were like, we'll just keep that part out. Yeah. Well, it's not like his predecessor didn't whip his out in the Oval Office either, but but not anecdotally. I know, he did I know it what you're for saying. a purpose. Yeah, I know. What you're saying. <laughs> I know what you're saying. He wasn't doing it to be like, no. yeah, but what about this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, LBJ once told off the Greek ambassador to the U.S. This is a direct quote: <laughs> F- your Parliament and your Constitution. America is an elephant. Cyprus is a flea. Greece is a flea. If these two fleas continue itching the elephant, they just might get whacked good. Yeah, that's badass. Isn't that great? That's badass. It is. Can you imagine being the translator? Well, I, think our, <laughs> I think the series is third or fourth beep of this, yeah, yeah. like that we've done, but yeah. that one's a well-deserved beep. That's great, man. Okay, let's talk else about, about LBJ's uh, dick. <laughs> Uh, he did have to like deal with the famous Daisy ad against Goldwater because Goldwater was a fear, oh, yeah. fear monger. I remember yeah, yeah, he yeah. stuck to the script. Yep. There was the the girl with the ten second countdown just holding the yeah. flower. Yeah, yeah, it was Let's... basically like if if Goldwater gets elected, you're gonna die. No, no, was Goldwater's essentially... the one that ran the ad. He was up against okay. the Daisy ad because Goldwater's it. whole thing was be scared. Yeah, America's going to hell. Vote for me. Yeah, if you're if you vote for me, you don't have to be scared because we'll be tough. Yeah, that's right. Win the war on drugs and the war on poverty and yeah. the war on like, the all war these on things war. that that we lost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's. I want to learn more about Hubert Humphrey before we go to break. Do you want to hear about the origin of the nickname Johnson? Does it? Yeah. Is it because of him? It's actually possibly. A, it's called a nickname. Oh yeah, okay. that's good. It was either from Lyndon Johnson or Masters and Johnson. The uh, the couple that are we supposed to know what that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't uh, know what the especially master. without you. Uh, or in reference to researchers turned husband and wife, Masters and Johnson, whose groundbreaking study into human sexuality became a byword for sex itself. Was it that a was, Kinsey thing? Was Kinsey. It was Kinsey. Oh, yeah, he worked okay. with Kinsey. Oh, they worked with Kinsey. so that's why you. I, I got with it. Kinsey. Got it. Okay. Do not recommend the Kinsey movie. By the way, it's really not that good, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Some uh, attribute it to Samuel Johnson. Samuel L. Johnson. Yeah. Oh, Thank tell you. us about Hubert, Hubert Humphrey. Pinky Humphrey. That can't be his middle name because he was a communist. It's not. It was his nickname, <laughs> Pinky. Okay. Was he a communist? I don't think so. <laughs> Let's hear about it. He was called a draft dodger. After Pearl Harbor, he was accused of draft dodging, but he had gotten an exemption because he was a father. Okay. And then he had to move to a two-way exemption because he was teaching in the Air Force College at Malcaster College. Does that make sense? Well, I feel like you're doing your duty at that point, right? If you're training the Air Force, you're doing your duty. Yeah, I would think so. And then he had the two-way exemption removed because after Pearl Harbor, he wanted to go. Okay. And then when he had his physical, they found out that he had a double hernia, lung calcification, and colorblindness. So they wouldn't Mm. let him in. That's fun, right? And then they called him a Dodger because of that? Well, his political opponents in the future oh, of course. Um, called him a draft dodger, okay. even right. though, you know. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Why, if you're colorblind, would you not be allowed in the military? That's it, a good question, Ryan. I don't, it's not all the military. 
Okay. It's like Just specific jobs. Yeah. They, oh, okay. You can't fly There's okay. because of the um, terrain. No. It's the um, controls. Yeah. Okay. On yeah. That. There's other jobs that you can't be colorblind in, but like, like I could be colorblind and still yeah. be an infantry guy. They just they're like, get out there and get shot at. <laughs> <laughs> sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> he was the mayor of Minnesota at 34. The mayor of all of Minnesota? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay. I was like, <laughs> what? Is Maybe that's how they do it up there. Wait, was it? Minnesota. Comma Minneapolis. Wasn't that's how it works. Adam Scott's character in Parks and Rec the mayor of Minneapolis at like 34? No, it was a much smaller town. Was it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The ice festival. And the yeah. Yeah. I'm the mayor of Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. not how this works. That's sir. what he said at the bar, at least. And he was like 17 beers deep. I'm the mayor of Minnesota. And they're like, all right, Hubert, that's all enough. Right. And then he reversed Time out for of you the to bar go home. All right, thank you. After singing the Minnesota State song. Continue, Russ. While he was mayor of Minneapolis, mm-hmm. comma, Minnesota. Minnesota. Yes. He was a strong advocate of civil rights. I mean, he was a. He he was an advocate of FDR's New Deal okay. and then every kind of social program after that. All right. After he was mayor, he was elected to the Senate and he was pretty close to LBJ. And LBJ kind of groomed him to be the majority whip okay. after LBJ flew the coop. He basically taught him how to move stuff along and how to push yeah. stuff through. And a lot of the stuff that was pushed through... You know, a lot of Kennedy's policies that LBJ ended up pushing through, the civil rights, the Medicare, that was a lot more Hubert Humphrey's bag. He could have answered that question. He knew the background behind the bills where maybe LBJ couldn't. Okay. Hubert Humphrey is really the one that pushed all of these through. I haven't really heard a whole lot about Hubert Humphrey before this at all. Yeah. Like his name's vaguely familiar at best. Well, I mean, he... So he did... He really got hosed by LBJ because he was, he was, <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Did the but, hose just flop over his shoulder? Yeah. Can you imagine how many times LBJ power moved oh, Humphrey? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was probably like a daily basis. Yeah. Him swear an like oath of allegiance. Like he that did. dude saw LBJ's wiener in his sleep. Hey, kiss the ring. Yeah. Sir, that's not a ring. Uh, I mean, Tell me it smells like roses. <laughs> But he was loyal to a fault. Like, yeah. even though he didn't agree with the escalation of forces in Vietnam, uh-huh. he would, you know, he would try all he could to get LBJ to... He stood by his man. Yeah. He... <laughs> did he have any aspirations of becoming president? He did. Okay. He yeah. really wanted the, the top dog. He absolutely job. did. And he, he ran for president. But he didn't get out of the gate because he was so aligned with LBJ okay. at a time when... Not many were aligned with LBJ yeah. and his policies. So, like, he would—he was almost the front man for, you know, for the escalation, even though he wasn't for it. As you said front man, Blaine just did. He did. <laughs> Steven Tyler. Mick Jagger. He did uh, a Mick Jagger dance move. It was great. It was good. <laughs> it was so subtle. Have you seen Mick Jagger in concert? Like, <laughs> even, like, I on... Haven't. He like live? No, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't seen him live live, but yeah. I've seen him recorded live. Uh-huh. And I mean, even fairly recently, with like in the past fifteen years, he just runs from one side of the stage <laughs> to the other. The entire concert. The entire concert. Like it just he doesn't stop moving. Just boom, boom. Like 
It's a pendulum. It is insane. It's crazy. It's crazy. Oh, that's great. It's, re- it's really crazy if you watch it. It's a really good show. Oh, man. Uh, anything else about Hubert Humphreys? Yeah, Humphreys. There's other stuff, but yeah. you know. <laughs> I don't know. Thank you, Russ, as always. Yep. And then LBJ passed Medicaid. Yeah, he friend, Ronald. Yeah, she's like raising people. <laughs> so uh, it's 1965 by now. In February of 65, there's an attack in Vietnam. Nine American soldiers are killed with an attack on their barracks, and the president orders the bombing of North Vietnam. Around this time, also Malcolm X was killed in New York City. I mean, the 60s. I think we've kind of glossed over this, but like such a turbulent time in our nation's history. There's the Selma March in 60. Bloody in Sunday. March of 65. Bloody Sunday. Um, shortly after that, MLK led a group of protesters on another march from Selma. And LBJ basically uses Selma in March of 65 in this speech for Congress. He says, quote, every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. And he stressed that denying the right to vote to black Americans cheapened the ideals of America, uh, of all Americans. And shortly after that, the Voting Rights Act is passed. Uh, with bipartisan support. On August 6th of 65, he signed it, which outlawed practices like literacy tests that had been used to keep black Americans from registering to vote. This effectively, along with the earlier Civil Rights Act of 64, effectively ended systematic segregation of the South. Yep, sure did. Just ended it. Now's a good time for another Lyndon Johnson quote. <laughs> so he uh, tried to justify by putting more troops, ground troops into Vietnam because the air bombings weren't working. And yeah. he didn't want people to know the air bombings weren't working. And somebody was like, why don't you tell the public what's really going on? And he said, if you have a mother-in-law with one eye and she has it in the center of her forehead, you don't keep her in the living room. Hmm. That's an interesting quote. It's a Cyclops, right? Yeah, that is a Cyclops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I immediately went there and then tried to remember what I remember about Cyclops. When he takes his glasses off, the laser shoots out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. I love that you went X-Men and I was thinking Greek mythology. <laughs> <It> was too. <laughs> That's fun. I like that we, like, I still, like, going back a second, I do like the blanket statement of, like, well, this law was passed, and yeah. that ended that. Yeah. It's I like, mean, yeah, well, sure it did. It didn't end yeah. racism. Like, it, it ended systematic. It, like, racism. we want everybody's votes to count, so we'll pass this law, like, and then we'll just redistrict everything, so while they can vote, doesn't matter. It ended the, <laughs> it ended the up-to-that-point systematic segregation of the South, Blaine. It ended that version of it. We yes. found a different way to do it. We didn't. People in 1965 School choice. Around this time, MLK <laughs> led efforts to extend the civil rights movement north. And Johnson, like you said, authorized more troops to be sent to Vietnam. And around that time, he also signed legislation creating Medicare and Medicaid. He um, also like, publicly said that professors were unnecessarily citing the youths against him. Which is interesting as a former teacher. Oh, you're saying... Well, it's also interesting because, like, we shouldn't have been in Vietnam. So, like, (laughs) yeah, if the professors were like, this isn't good, and like, how dare they? Yeah. To go to your point earlier, he was really a proponent of, what, containment of communism? I mean, and that goes back all the way, gosh, like, late 40s with the French in Vietnam. He was anti-McCarthy. He's the one that got McCarthy booted because it was his idea to when McCarthy went after that army captain 
it was his idea to televise it because he knew. Oh, that's right. That You're post- signing your own death warrant. Yeah, basically. he was like, yeah. if you in front of the yep. world, yeah. start berating an army captain yes. who was like a doctor, who was a dentist. He was a dentist. Yeah. Like the country's going to turn on you, and it did. And then Joseph McCarthy yeah. quickly drank himself to death. Yeah, yeah, he did. It's 1966 now, and the war is happening overseas. And the Johnson family cut back on the lavish entertaining that was basically the norm in the Kennedy uh, administration. That he would have occasional barbecues at the White House, but basically spent a lot of the time. We at like their Texas, Texas ranch. <laughs> Uh, is basically where he spent a lot of his time driving his large Cadillac convertible or taking long walks. He definitely had one of those with the horns on the front, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, oh gosh, what's the character in Cars? He he runs the Dynaco team. Never mind. Sorry. That's just because my son Gus is in a really big Cars phase right now. Anywho. So there's still, I mean, there's still a ton going on with civil rights in 66. I had actually never heard this story. Uh, but on June 6th of 66, James Meredith, known for integrating the University of Mississippi as its first black student, was shot. He was taking a solo march from Memphis to Jackson and was shot. He wasn't killed. He was hospitalized. But while he was in the hospital, basically other people rallied to his cause and completed his march. And then he rejoined them. And at that point, there were 15,000 other marchers because of his story. And as a result, 4,000 black Mississippians were registered to vote. He tried to walk by himself. Yes. From Memphis to Jackson. Yeah. And was shot along the way. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. What other way was that going to go? Like, not saying he shouldn't, but like, good night. That's bold. Yeah. It was a solo march. A solo march. James Meredith was his name. If you remember from a different episode, the 50-mile radius outside of Memphis was at the time, at this time, the specific time we're talking yeah. about, the world leader mm-hmm. in first-degree murder, yeah. which means premeditated, I'm going to go murder this person, and then goes and murders yeah. them. He would be an interesting guy to die Like into. MLK, Emmett Till. Hell, if he would have died. James Meredith. James Meredith, yeah. sorry. You may have, I mean, if you're listening in Mississippi, which not a ton of our listeners do, but if you are, you've most likely heard of him because he integrated the University of Mississippi as the first black student. We, yeah, you're right. We definitely don't have a lot of fans of Mississippi. So he was carrying a sign? Like, how do people know you're marching if you're doing it by yourself? That you're not just a guy walking? I see what you're saying. Like, if there's a group of people, it's like, oh, that's... Yeah, but I mean, like, media... Newspaper articles, oh, like okay. you know, like that way. Like yeah. I, my former battalion commander, the guy that um, did the, the parade in Afghanistan with the yes, bagpipes down Main he's Street. He's starting next week doing a march. Well, by the time you hear this, he will have already started from Washington D.C. to San Diego, where he's going to wow. walk across the United States. Wow, how long is that going to take him? Years, uh, at least 50 three years, days. I would think. Yeah, walking across the country. I think one year. I don't. He's doing twenty miles a day. Good night. So do Art that, Garfunkel man. did that. Did he? Wait, mm-hmm. what? Art Garfunkel walked across the United States of America for what purpose? Rest. I don't remember. Well, but he's also Colonel really Lentz good free is throw doing shooter. it to raise funds for uh, different like reunions and okay. different things like that. And I believe there's a memorial scholarship fund. Okay. Um, also, I'll get. Better details. Maybe we'll yeah. just throw it in as an ad. And that That's way, if cool. anybody wants to Go throw money Colonel at, at Colonel Mintz and, and support great. the cause. Nice. So if you're hearing this and you've already heard the ad, 
you now know where the idea came there from. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you do. Before Art Garfunkel yes. walked across the United States, he walked across Japan. Okay. Well, it's a, yeah, we got to warm up. Yeah. I it's mean, it's much, smaller. Yeah. If you get wow. it at the right spot. Huh. And right. he can harmonize so well, too. I would not have begged him for a, a cross, a transnational walker. But I guess he was. Sure was. And with that, we're going to take a break so you can hear from one of our great sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Walking Across the United States and Japan. Here's our Garfunkel scene, Bridge Over Troubled Water. (laughs) We'll be right back. Hey guys, it's Ryan. If you need custom-made t-shirts for your team or organization, look no further than our good friends here in Indy, The Art Press. The Art Press is a local, eco-friendly small business that's been around for years here in Indy, designing and printing all the super comfortable shirts you may have seen through their parent company's store, Vardigan. We've worked with them on our awesome new shirts that feature Thomas Jefferson writing a fire-breathing mastodon, and our experience couldn't have gone better. If you need help creating a design or you have your artwork ready, ready to print, Derek and the team at The Art Press can help you get your orders set up online quickly and easily. Plus, they ship everywhere and offer excellent customer service. Get a quote on your order of shirts today at theartpress.com. That's theartpress.com. Welcome back, friends. So it's 1967. LBJ's popularity is plummeting. The massive cost of war is threatening all his programs that he's trying to do with the Great Society. Inflation is getting out of control. However, a good thing happens. The 25th Amendment is passed on February 10th, 1967, uh, providing rules of succession upon the death or incapacitation of the president and enabling the president to appoint a new VP in the case of a vacancy. On June 13th of 67, what? Uh, I'm just glad we did that because luckily that had never really come up before. So, <laughs> yeah, like, right. <laughs> Yeah, like somebody was forward thinking enough to come up with this in 1967. <laughs> yeah, when was the? Uh, we talked about this in a in a previous episode where it was like, and it wouldn't become officially a thing until like 80 years later. No yeah. one on this podcast sounds like that, Ryan. Like that was us in the past in unison. It, yes, that like. was collectively us a year ago. Okay, when was that though? It I was mean, a long time ago. Freaking Tyler was it? Tyler was the first, wasn't he? I don't know. Yeah, Tyler with uh, William Henry Harrison. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. the first. Yeah, and and nobody thought to be like, should we have a law about even especially uh, with that Tyler one where people a, were like, are we sure he's much more relevant? No, I'm saying like even with Tyler when they were like, hey, you need to take the oath of office now. Like nobody knows what should, we should do, yeah. and then everybody just went off precedent instead of law. Nobody was like, we should probably talk about this and yeah. make a law till 1967. Yeah. Then you had Fillmore and Taylor. You had uh, was there anyone between Andrew Fillmore, Johnson, Johnson and Lincoln, Garfield and um, Arthur, <laughs> and, uh, T. R. Uh, and McKinley. Um, yeah, and a partridge in a pear tree. But I think we last talked about it with um, Coolidge, Stroke Man. Uh, Slow man, stroke man. <laughs> Oi! Uh, no, when his a, wife was president, there was correct. one more, wasn't yeah. there? There was uh, Harding and Coolidge. Yeah, I said yeah. Coolidge. Oh, yeah. you did say Coolidge. Okay, so June thirteenth, nineteen sixty-seven. Stroke man, stroke man. Like that you call stroke man. Well, wasn't the first. 
1967, <laughs> LBJ nominates Thurgood Marshall as an associate justice of the Supreme Court, saying that this was, quote, the right thing to do, the right time to do it, the right man, and the right place. Uh, he was confirmed by the Senate, becoming the first black American to serve as a Supreme Court justice, and he served for 24 years. Here's some fun facts about Thurgood Marshall. He was one of the lawyers who argued before the Supreme Court in Brown versus the Board of Education 13 years prior to his nomination. Hmm. So if you think of 13 years, I mean, that's it's somewhat of a long time. It's, like it's a, a quick time to go from lawyer appearing before the Supreme Court to one of the justices. Although I feel like that flight path makes sense, right? Like yeah. if you're a lawyer in sure. front of this. Yep. Okay. His Bible, Thurgood Marshall's Bible, was used by Vice President Kamala Harris when she was sworn into office. That's, oh, that's dope. Cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, super dope. Kind of cool. In 1967, the President's Commission on Law Enforcement and Administration of Justice, just rolls off the tongue, mm-hmm. recommended the creation of a single number that could be used nationwide for reporting emergencies. The FCC then met with AT&T in November of 67 to choose the number. AT&T chose the number 911, which was simple, easy to remember, and dialed easily on a rotary phone. But it also wouldn't accidentally be mistaken dialed. Correct. That was one of the other things yes. that went into it, right? Mm-hmm. And Because in Britain, it's like 999. Yeah, it's like, oh, 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 <laughs> it's just like pocket dialing the yeah. ambulance all the time. AT&T made its first implementation in Huntington, Indiana on March 1st, 1968. In late January 1968, North Korean forces captured the USS Pueblo, a U.S. Navy communications intelligence gathering ship, and refused to release the crew almost for the entire year until early December. Uh, Around the same time, on January 30th, the Vietnamese lunar year of Tet, the North Vietnamese Army, coordinated a massive offensive against South Vietnam. More than 80,000 troops and guerrillas attacked 44 provincial capitals, 64 district capitals, and five of South Vietnam's major cities. Basically made LBJ's administration reconsider the entire strategy in Vietnam. Now, uh, basically American and South Vietnamese troops reversed most of the offensive gains in the next two weeks. But basically, politically, it shattered LBJ's future. On March 31st, two months after the start of the offensive, he announced in a primetime address that he would not run for re-election. Shortly after that, in April of 68, the nation's capital erupted in the aftermath of the assassination of Dr. King in Memphis. How much longer were we in Vietnam after that, though? Like, good night, because he got used as political theater for both he and Nixon. We'll talk about this next episode, but there's pretty good, like, theory and evidence that Nixon purposely called off peace talks and pulling troops in order to win the election and then continued to raise troop numbers for what, eight years? This is insane. Like how many thousands of people died because of political theater? And the last POWs in Vietnam would not return until late March of 73. There's still, well, I mean, there's plenty of POWs that didn't return. Sure. It's garbage. Because this dude with his weird haircut wanted to be a crook and like win an election. Get out of here. Uh, on April 11th, 1968, a week after Dr. King's assassination, Congress passed the Fair Housing Act, which made discrimination in terms of housing illegal. I'd say that's a great move. There are one of two ways to look at how 
Lyndon Johnson past things. Mm-hmm. Like you could look at progress, right? And be like, that's great. Lyndon Johnson passed things. Or you could be cynical and look at an opportunist that saw like ways to pass things that he knew would make himself and his legacy look good. Um, and I don't know where the answer is. Yeah. I think it's somewhere in the middle or it, I mean, it, who cares? You're yeah. saying I it mean, got fair. passed. Yeah. That's I mean, fair. Yeah, it, that's you're fair. looking at the, the result. I mean, who cares about the, so intent? I'll save those mm-hmm. comments for the legacy. Yeah. Conversation. Sure. That's fine. In mid May, uh, the U S and North Vietnam began peace talks in Paris In early June, shortly after, Senator Bobby Kennedy was assassinated after winning the Democratic primary in California. An interesting, like, tie-in with Indianapolis. Where we are. When Martin Luther King was assassinated, Bobby Kennedy was in the early stages of running for president. Correct. He was here giving a speech, and he was on the north side of Indianapolis at a park, and was given the news that Martin Luther King was assassinated uh, and announced it to the crowd. Uh, and yeah. my high school history teacher was in that crowd. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. That's my neat. AP history teacher, no big deal. Look at you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Look at AP me. Test. Went all the way from AP history to a history podcast. <laughs> Clearly, Mr. Renner was doing a good thing. Shout out to um, Mr. Renner. He, yeah, no, he was in the in the crowd. It was like one of the actually. That's the only thing I remember from AP history. Yeah, is that he was well. there that day. So we actually have a park here. It's on the north side, and there's a really cool statue of Martin Luther King's bust and Robert Kennedy's bust mm-hmm. as you're walking through like a path yeah. of the park. It's cool. Um, it's a it's a cool like memorial to two great civil rights leaders. Yeah. In late August, Hubert Humphrey was nominated in Chicago as the Democratic candidate for president, which caused violent outbreaks between police and demonstrators. Uh, Later that fall, Nixon was elected president, along with Spiro Agnew as VP. Uh, By this time, over 30,000 American soldiers had been killed in the war in Vietnam. On January 20th, 1969, LBJ saw Nixon sworn in. Then he got on a plane to fly back to Texas. When the door of the plane closed, he pulled out his first cigarette in 14 years. (laughs) 14 years he had gone without smoking. One of his daughters pulled it out of his mouth, but he took it back and he said, quote, I've now raised you girls. I've now been president. Now it's my time. From that point on, he went into a very uh, self-destructive spiral. 65 cigarettes. Back home, yeah. Like, Like, um, that's not what we thought he pulled out (laughs) on the plane. That's why. (laughs) Because. He was sad. Like, it would have been of character for him to be like, last time. (laughs) (laughs) One more time. Everybody take a look. Reaches the ground. (laughs) Sir, you may want to. You may want to bring that. Back. I'm sure that that like the, the our our audience base was fifty fifty there, where like yeah. half the people understood why Russ and I started laughing, and the other two were like, "What's so funny about what, the cigarette?" Wait, what? 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 <laughs> yeah. So he returns to Texas. Uh, his former speechwriter Harry Middleton drafted his first book, Johnson's first book, "The Choices We Face." And he worked with him on his memoirs, which were published in 71. Uh, that same year, his presidential library and museum opened at UT Austin. And he donated his ranch in his will to the public to form the Lyndon B. Johnson National Historic Park. Around this time, he also suffered two more heart attacks in 70 and 72. On January 22nd of 73, two days after Nixon's second inauguration ceremony, LBJ had lunch at the ranch, put on his PJs for a nap, and at 3.30 grabbed the bedside phone and called for Secret Service agents to come to his room. When they came in, he pulled out his d***. 
<laughs> By the time the men arrived, one last time. By the time the men arrived with a portable oxygen machine, he had collapsed on the floor with a heart attack, and he was pronounced dead on arrival at a San Antonio hospital at the age of 64. He died just one day before the Paris Peace Accords ending the Vietnam War were concluded. That's fitting. Yeah. He had prophesied, quote, when the Great Society His dies... last words were, be more like Texas. <laughs> Here's a pen. <laughs> Johnson had prophesied when... The Great Society dies. I, too, will die. He suffered his fatal heart attack the day after Nixon announced plans that would essentially do away with LBJ's Great Society programs. There was a state funeral in D.C. in the Capitol on January 24th, and it would be the last presidential state funeral for 21 years until Nixon's in 94. When he was in retirement, he grew his hair really long. He did. And <laughs> there's there's a thing called the Vietnam ponytail. Um it's a thing like that a lot of veterans were like couldn't have long hair so now i have long hair and oh, now okay. like now i say okay. now like the thing is the, the like we'll call it the afghanistan beard whatever like okay. all the veterans now when they get out they all want to grow a beard it's a big thing and they all act like it's like unique to them because you cute couldn't in like, afghanistan <laughs> was there like you couldn't grow one when you were Overseas, you can't so have now facial can't. hair in the military. i don't know the regs when you're on comp like when you're actually out there you deployed. can't have facial hair in the military Okay. It they they claim it's because you can't like suction in your gas mask. That's why you can't have oh, facial hair, right? Interesting. Like, like that's the doctrine behind it. Okay. But like everybody wants to feel like they're a unique snowflake, so they all grow a beard when they get out of the military, which okay. is hilarious. But back then it was growing your hair real long and having Vietnam ponytail and I had okay. in my notes like he grew his hair real long after his presidency, which is really the ultimate Vietnam ponytail. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, that was interesting, too. We didn't say this in his upbringing. When he was a little boy, his mom grew his hair long, almost to like the point where he had curls. And his dad, Sam, cut it one day. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't imagine back then in Texas, his dad was yeah. in, on board with that. And his as mom... A, as a father of a child who had very long hair... Uh, at a certain age, when the hair is very long, you get a lot of "Oh, she's very cute." Yeah, and I can't imagine that dad in Texas was on board with that. Yeah, <laughs> didn't Sam Houston have very long hair? He could have different. different. That was time, in adulthood. Right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, his mom didn't talk to his dad for like six weeks after his dad just cut it one day. Yeah. So interesting on the on yep. The they just of powered through with that marriage. Yeah. <laughs> he probably never just the... brought it up again either. On the Had two four sides more of his kids lifetime. and called it a day. Long hair on both sides, which was kind of interesting. After the state funeral, Reverend Billy Graham officiated graveside services back at the ranch in Texas. LBJ <laughs> is buried near an old oak tree in the tiny family cemetery, about 100 yards from his birthplace. Lady Bird died 34 years after her husband in 2007 at the age of 94. And they did that movie about her just What's a couple that? years ago. Lady Bird. This movie was a. I don't think it was about her though. I think it wasn't about about teenage angst. That wasn't about her. I don't think so. Huh? It wasn't a biopic about Lady. I definitely thought. Yeah, I thought she was like the mom in that. Lady Hawk. Did you ever see that? Uh Uh-uh. That was like in the eighties. It was was about Ethan. No, I don't think so. Good actor. It was like Labyrinth Time. Lady Hawk. Uh, Oh. Codpiece? Was there a codpiece in it? Was, was it like was ever David changing codpiece in it? <laughs> David Bowie was an all 
Lady Bird was the fourth longest living first lady after Rosalind Carter, who is currently 94, Nancy Reagan, who surpassed her by 40 days, and Bess Truman, who lived to be 97. There's a little trivia Nancy. for you. That same Did year. Did any of them outlive uh, Eliza Hamilton? Oh. She wasn't a first lady. Drink. I didn't say she was. I found a way to bring up Hamilton. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank How you. old was she? Well, she made it through the freaking like Washington Monument. Oh yeah, which was Taylor, right? Yeah. Taylor. So, yeah, he went to the. Was, actually, I know she lived 50 years after he died. That's a long freaking. That's time. right. She was there the day that Zach Taylor left that cornerstone lane cornerstone, yeah. ceremony, and then drank cold milk and cherries. Yeah. And died of gastroenteritis. <laughs> Anywho, in 2007... Not quite as impressive as ticket at Stanford baseball game Benjamin Harrison to being on the moon. Actually, in this time, <laughs> freaking so Herbert Hoover's still alive. Still alive. Yeah. Still alive, just <laughs> kicking it. Yep. Uh, wild. In 2007, President George W. Bush signed legislation naming the U.S. Department of Education headquarters after LBJ as a lasting testament to his passion for education. Let's dive into LBJ's legacy, shall we? According to C-SPAN's Presidential Historian Survey, which we always reference, LBJ currently sits at number 11 below Barack Obama and above James Monroe. Russ, I know you didn't read the book that we read, but did you? (laughs) I was struck by the way he ordered pants. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, we found this clip online. We're going to play it. We're going to play it for you guys. Like at the end of this episode, we're just going to play this phone call of Lyndon Johnson ordering pants. Right. It's so It great. can't be that hard to just I'm sure it's not. Yeah. It'll be fine. Yeah. Did anything strike you that you didn't know, Blaine, about LBJ that really surprised you as you were reading the book? N- nothing surprised me. Okay. Like he I feel like he was who he was. Yeah. And like he was that like loud, boisterous, like everybody's going to pay attention to me because I'm important. Yeah. Like the type of people that in my professional career, I take the least seriously and give the least amount of credence to because they, yeah. they think everybody should just bow down to them. And the, like my favorite thing to do is be like, Oh, you no, never heard of you hmm. <laughs> because just you know, you like yeah. that's the yeah. thing that they go to bed yeah. thinking about. Yeah, nothing I learned anything new about. Like, he does have some really great quotes. Like, those types of people always have great quotes. Yeah. Because there's always, like, some weird uncle they had that just had all of them, like, ready to go. So, Yeah. I mean, I've always liked him. Like, I didn't know the background behind it, but just because the the number of things that were passed Uh while he was in office that, you know, I mean... Landmark legislation. Landmark. Yeah. But yeah. Do you think that any of that is passed because of him or because of the people that died while he was around? I don't care. Okay. Like, I mean, it's, but it still happened. Like, and he was, I mean, like, he was a majority another... whip. Like, he, he, he was definitely involved in getting it passed. Like, sure. He... Yeah, that's right. Like, he, under, he, yeah, yes. He did understand, like, what it took and the people that he needed and things like that. I guess my my thought going into him and in all background was like he understood how to use sympathy well. Hmm. What? Like interesting. He got a lot of things passed based on JFK dying yeah. and Martin Luther King dying. And like could a lot of other people have done that? Probably. Hmm. Was he really, really good at it? Absolutely. Yeah. 
Like he was probably better than most at seeing an opportunity and taking it. Hard to have greater odds than LBJ getting that legislation through with his personality, his skills in Congress, knowing how the system right. works. Like, yeah. like just about like anybody, like you or I could have possibly been in that scenario and gotten it passed because of the national sympathy that was felt yeah. on both of those deaths with those types of legislations, right? Sure. It was basically JFK laid the groundwork on a lot of these things and then died. And <laughs> mm-hmm. LBJ was like, go ahead. But it feels like you were setting up a scenario where LBJ was like actually a very strong civil rights activist. And he knew the only way to get these passed is if he murdered JFK no, no, no. and MLK. Oh, no, I'm saying the opposite of that. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm saying he didn't give a damn yeah, about know. any of this legislation. He realized this was what was important to the person that died mm-hmm. and I can get credit for yeah. doing it. Hmm. So I'll, I, and I know it'll get voted because they just died and everybody's sad. Yeah. So I can get credit for this really cool thing because we discussed earlier, he was a segregationist. I would love to believe that he had a change of heart. But Thurgood Marshall. Right. Exactly. He also, I think, had the first black cabinet member, I think. Mm. I can't remember the person's name, but I think he also... Because, I mean, he gets credit for the Thurgood Marshall thing, but I think yeah. that's in there as well with the cabinet member. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it's not genuine. I'm just saying, like, it from a cynic's perspective, which I, at times, take... Uh, at times? <laughs> fairly often regularly. Like, like, and that's honestly one of the things I love about you, Blake. Like, it's it's... Entirely possible also that he saw an opportunity for his legacy and took it. And I think yeah. that, that it's important to like throw that in with the legacy. To your point, LBJ, I mean, very soon after entering retirement, focused a lot on this is my side of the story. This is yeah. my POV of what went down. I'm going to start with is, my library in the museum. Uh, mm, do you think JFK could have gotten that all that legislation passed? That's a really good question. Probably not because no. he was very polarizing. Yeah. But... There is the benefit of dying young. No, that's true. Like there, yeah. I mean, historically, you die young. Like yeah. you're seen in a better light. You you actually, once again, cynically, you you die before you could do anything to like in old age. Yeah, they could let anybody think differently of you. I think we haven't really talked about it too. I mean, until this point, is we're kind of musing on the legacy of just like the maybe unexpected irony of a very southern very democratic president getting civil rights legislation passed for the country. I'd be shocked if we ever saw something like this again. Yeah. Shocked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's play along with this sentence that we always throw out to uh, each other and to you. So LBJ, finish this sentence. LBJ is the reason the United States of America. Russ, what do you think? Um, Had a second president born in Texas. Hmm. Okay. Oh, All man. Right. That was a direct <laughs> shot at me. That was a slow burn, yeah. by the way. That lasted like 20 minutes before you leashed it out. Uh, has the term Johnson. <laughs> okay. That's good. I, I just, I, it, I find it hard to give him credit for civil rights things. Like, I just find okay. it very hard. Yeah. So, like, the, the easy answer is, like, has the Civil Rights Act or something like that sure. because uh-huh. he was in charge. Sure. But, like... Almost in the opposite way that I don't blame Herbert Hoover for the Depression. Uh-huh. I can't give credit okay. to LBJ for civil rights. I don't, but he got it over the line. I understand. Like, and that's usually the hardest part. Like you can have, yeah, you know, no, and and I'm like, and like that's where I waffle, right? Like I, yeah. I completely sure. understand what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, like, and I don't disagree with you. Yeah, um, I guess it's just like 
in my brain, his motives weren't pure, so I can't yeah. give him credit for him. I hear you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's interesting, too, on all these presidents. And I could be wrong about that. Like, maybe he did have a complete change of heart, and his motives were pure, yeah. and he got it across the line, and you're right. But, his, like, his in my head... Was African-American. Like, <laughs> and a woman. His best friend was, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he had a color TV. <laughs> His lawyer was African-American. Used all of the tropes. It's interesting to think, too, of just on all these presidents that we've discussed, uh, you know, reservations aside about personality, idiosyncrasies, it's like, what did he get done? To your point, Russ, like, what actually was the action behind it that ended up affecting a lot of people's lives, Mm -hmm. even to this day? So uh, I'm going to go with, has Medicaid? Has NASA? Yeah, and yeah. also if you've ever watched anything on PBS or NP- or listened to it on NPR, yeah, there you go. You've got LBJ to thank. <laughs> he made so much money <laughs> off that, though. He made so much money off just being like, "Oh, I can buy all of these things. Cool, yeah. let's buy them all." Sounds and good. he owned like every public broadcasting place really in did. Texas. Yeah, yeah. All right, you ready for little known facts? Here we go. Uh, following John Tyler and Andrew Johnson, and followed by Nixon, LBJ is one of only four people to have been a representative, Senate Majority Leader, Vice President, and President. At age 44, he also became the youngest person ever to serve as Senate Minority Leader. Minority Leader, leader, yeah. Uh, Have you heard of Lyndon's Law? Mm -mm. This was interesting. So go back to November of 60. He won the election for Vice Presidency at the same time that he won election to his third term as Senator. He had the Texas law changed to allow him to run for both offices. Hmm. When he won VP, he made arrangements to resign as soon as Congress was going to reconvene, like that next January of 61. And so this became known as Lyndon's Law, and it happened again. Uh, The same play was used in 88 by another Texas senator. Yeah. Texas Senator Lloyd Benson, who was the VP. (laughs) I said Dukakis. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. He was the VP. Wait, how am I right? You just said Benson. Texas Senator Lloyd Benson was the VP oh. running mate of Michael Dukakis, but he was able to retain his seat in the Senate after Dukakis lost to George H.W. Bush. By a lot. By a lot. Donnie yeah. Darko. Yeah. Interesting, though. You know, I think it's the only two times that Lyndon's law has been used. Uh, in the spring of 64, in front of cameras and reporters, LBJ grabbed his pet beagle by the ears <laughs> and lifted it off the ground until the puppy by screamed. By the ears. By the ears. Quote, I love to hear them yelp, the president said. <laughs> Later, when animal lovers across the country protested, Johnson, quote unquote, clarified his position, saying, <laughs> saying, the yelp is not a sound of pain. It is a sound of joy. No, it's not. No, it's not. Not when you pick him up by the... Mm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. There it is. He had a buzzer installed in the Oval Office so the Secret Service could warn him when his wife was on her way while he was, let's say, he had uh, that room predisposed with female White House staff. Remember, he had the nookie room when he was VP. VP, yeah. Remember, we talked about that the last episode. He literally had a room called the nookie room. That's right. That birthed Fred Durst. (laughs) Fred Durst is the illegitimate son of LBJ. He did it all for the nookie. He did it all for the... It's not the first time that the president has basically had a secret, uh, you know, 
That wasn't a secret. There's a difference. It's It's the first time he had a not secret room. A secret to his wife. A secret to his wife. Because Harding was... It wasn't a secret to his wife. Harding was hooking up If there was a buzzer that the Secret Service knew about, Lady Bird knew about it too. Zero chance you can convince me she was that stupid. No, I'm not trying to convince you that she was. Uh, He loved helicopters so much that his desk chair in the Oval Office was actually a green vinyl helicopter seat with a built-in ashtray. Oh, my God. Wait, I love the built-in ashtray. The chair that he sat in was a helicopter seat. Yeah, you do. Well, he had cigarettes a day to get through. It's pretty crazy, right? Wait, okay. The seat... (laughs) It was from a helicopter. Yeah. Or it was shaped like a helicopter. No, no, it was like the yeah. the final seat, seat from a helicopter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The National Park Service keeps Those a. Those are hurt. so uncomfortable, by the way. <laughs> are they? <laughs> do they have ashtrays in them, or did he get that? <laughs> yeah. When were you able to stop smoking on a helicopter? I mean, how could you stop smoking yeah. on a helicopter? Yeah. In my opinion, yeah. uh, why would you? Yeah. You know. Yeah, uh, the National Park Service keeps a herd of cattle descended from LBJ's original herd. Yeah, he was a cattle farmer. Yeah. post. Yeah, yeah. At the time of his death, his personal fortune was estimated at approximately twenty million dollars, uh, which he had made off land, cattle, like you said, airplanes, banks, and radio stations. Mm-hmm. Last little known fact that I had. Hop in here if you guys have any. Over sixty songs have been released about or referencing LBJ. There's actually a spoken word album <laughs> William Shatner. by They Might Be Giants. Oh, this is so great. That he recorded. The president recorded a spoken oh word. <laughs> it's called, I'm not making this up. Be more like Texas. Nope. Dogs have always been my best friends. <laughs> Lyndon Johnson reminisces Tales from the Texas Hills, Volume 1. A, f- a couple of things. <laughs> No, they haven't. No, they haven't. <laughs> uh, Just ask your beagle. Where are these hills? Yeah. Like, I've lived in multiple places. And t- they're, they're, not, they're not there. They're not there. I promise you. Look it up. The Franklin Mountains may be in El Paso. Mm. Uh, no. Absolutely not, Lennon. Somebody should have rolled up. If dogs were his best friend, yeah. you know, when he came up with the concept for that album, somebody should have rolled up the newspaper yeah. and hit him and said, no. <laughs> no. 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 And then picked him up by his ears until yep. he yelped, mm-hmm. good, get out of here. <laughs> Friends, thank you for listening to episode 36, the Texan of the Presidential Podcast. We're so happy that you're listening. Our next episode on 37th President Richard Milhouse Nixon will be released on Wednesday, June 22nd. Don't forget to become a patron. You'll get early ad-free and bonus episodes when you sign up at patreon.com slash presequential starting at just five bucks a month. We've had so much fun with you. Thanks a lot. We'll see you in just two short weeks. Hello? Hello? Uh, Mr. Hager? Yes, this is Joe Hager. Uh, Joe, uh, uh, is your father the one that uh, makes uh, clothes? Yes, sir. We're all together. You all made me some real lightweight slacks uh, uh, that he just made up on his own, sent to me three or four months ago. It's a kind of a light brown and a light green rather soft green and soft brown now i need about six pairs for summer wear i need about six pairs to wear around in the evening when i come in from work and i can send you a pair i want them a half inch larger in the waist than they were before except i want two or three inches of stuff left back in there so i can take them up i vary 10 to 15 pounds a month
So uh, leave me at least two and a half, three inches in the back where I can let them out or take them up, and put it, make these a half inch bigger in the waist, make the pockets at least an inch longer. Money, my money and my knife and everything fall out. Wait just a minute. Hello. Hello. Now, another thing, the crotch down where your nuts hang is always a little too tight. So when you make them up, give me an inch that I can let out there uh, because they cut me. They're just like riding a, a wire fence. These are almost, these are the best that I've had anywhere in the United States. But uh, uh, when I gain a little weight, they cut me under there. So leave me, uh, you never do have much margin there. Let's see if you can't leave me about an inch from the, where the zipper ends uh, around uh, under my, back to my bunghole. All right, then. So I can let it out there if I need to. Okay. Now, be sure you got the best zippers in them. These are good that I have. And uh, if you get those to me, I would sure be grateful. Uh, where would you like to present, please? White House. Right. I just sure will appreciate this. I need it more than anything. And uh, uh, now, you give this boy the address, because I'm running for a funeral, and give him address just how to dress these trousers. So we'll send them to you. And don't you, you get the measurements out of them and add a half inch to the back, give us an inch to the pockets, and about an uh, inch underneath uh, so we can let them out. Like just a little more stride in the crotch. Yeah, that's right. Yes, sir. Okay, here he is. Glad that you the okay, go ahead, please.